You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. This is Jonathan Field, and welcome to this week's edition of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. I'm joined in the studio here by our advisory board chairman, Ron Bachman, and we will be joined briefly by our uh, CEO, Doug Field, in a minute. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm doing great this morning. How are you? Terrific, terrific. I'm looking forward to uh, Doug getting in here. I haven't seen him in a little while. Yeah, he's been out at Vegas this week uh, planning for our Forum West event and attending a private exchange conference out there. Well, that's going to be a great conference out there. I'm looking forward to the Las Vegas one. That's always a great site there at uh, Red Rock. And, it's a great uh, venue. It's a great place for going out and uh, learning. Uh, and then uh, when you want a little entertainment, uh, you have that not too far away. But exactly. uh, we are removed from the uh, the main strip, so it's not just to go out there and have a, a nice vacation. This is about some business and some real important topics. So I think it's an ideal location, and the Red Rock has its own casino when you want to mm-hmm. run down between – uh, days and he has some time in the evening going to, and get a little gambling in if that's your uh, if that's your bent. Yeah, it's a great venue and uh, it's a great time period as well. We're going to be about just a week after the November election, so get a little bit of a feel for how the political landscape is going to you know play out for the next two years. And I believe Kevin McKechnie is going to be doing the legislative update that he did at Forum East. He's always well informed. He's right there. He's got his, you know, he's got his uh, his, his thumb on the pulse in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And clearly, like you say, it's going to be interesting that uh, the result of the election certainly could change some of the direction of what's going on in Washington, and hopefully, uh, you know, put forth some ideas on on how we're going to be uh, changing uh, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, some obviously want to. Um, you know, repeal it, but as long as the president's in power, that's not likely. And there are some good aspects of it, so I think we'll see some uh, uh, some changes. The Republicans can't just sit back and 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 talk about it. They, they, if they're in charge of both uh, the House and the Senate, they're going to have to put forth real right. ideas to the American public. But you know, the beauty of healthcare consumerism has always been it really doesn't matter who's in Washington. It may speed up or slow down the process, but healthcare consumerism, as we have always said, is a megatrend. It's happening no matter what uh, happens in the elections, and it's just a matter of whether we get more emphasis on the markets or or not. But uh, you can't stop it. Yeah, we have some great other um, events going on at Forum West this year. For the first time, we're going to be actually partnering with uh, the city of Las Vegas, and they have a medical tourism department um domestic medical tourism so rather than going outside the country's borders you just go to las vegas for a weekend and you know get your procedure done and rest up and heal up in las vegas and then head home well you know that's that's something i've been looking forward to for a long time is the development of domestic medical tourism you know years ago uh i mean not that long ago maybe four or five years ago the big issue of medical tourism was going to another country, going to uh, Costa Rica, going to Singapore, going to uh, these exotic lands where healthcare costs are so much cheaper. And and quite honestly, it seemed to me that that was appropriate and helpful only uh, if you were a global corporation and had some expats that were located in other countries, and it was faster and cheaper uh, than bringing them home to the United States for care. You took them to these other high-quality uh, centers around the world, many of which, by the way, were run by the, the biggest and best uh, healthcare systems in the United States, um, uh, Cleveland Clinic, uh, Harvard, and many others. 
uh, were actually the management team over some of those in, in foreign cities. And so that was possible. But you know, I took a trip a number of years ago down to Costa Rica to take a look at and investigate more around uh, medical tourism on the uh, the foreign side. And uh, we've reviewed some facilities, uh, had doctors down there. And uh, Costa Rica is an example where they specialize in, in more dental work. So that a lot of people go down there that don't have dental insurance and get things done cheaper. But the whole movement um, of medical tourism really seemed to make more sense to me uh, to start domestically. The right. cost differences and the quality differences across the country are pretty enormous that most people don't fully appreciate or realize. And certainly it's going to be fascinating for people to go out to Las Vegas and see the high-quality uh, facilities and services they have. And so, yeah, Las Vegas is trying to, uh, uh, you know, make a inroads into this area where it makes some sense. they get got a great entertainment area, they get got great hotels, and they've got uh, great medical facilities. So there's going to be a, some tours out there, I understand. Is that part of, like, the, exactly. the pre-con? Exactly. So on the pre-conference day, uh, Cheryl Smith, who's in charge of that department uh, out in Las Vegas, She's going to be taking, I believe, up to 50 attendees wow. um, around to the different sites around the city with some of the companies involved in the program and hear directly from them how it's working for their employees. I think a lot of uh, employers will find it eye-opening to go around to some of those facilities and see <coughs> what's happening and where people are coming in from around the country. Uh, if you can get uh, good quality, lower cost, stay at uh, hotels in Las Vegas and uh, have a good – um, relaxing recovery because you know recovery is really an important part of any surgery that you've got the facilities nearby you've got some peace and quiet you've got some things to take your mind off uh, your medical problems and uh, even have some family around that's uh, supportive so i absolutely. think it's going to be really interesting to see i'm looking forward to that absolutely and we actually have for our july august issue of healthcare consumers and solutions we have laura carabello who of course runs a, a wonderful editorial resource on medical travel, both domestic and international. She's going to be doing a feature for us, um, spotlighting Cheryl Smith and the work that she does and giving us a little bit of um, kind of a case study as well of how these programs have actually worked for employers. So we're looking forward to that, that uh, Laura Carabello is contributing. Um, let's talk a little bit about today's program, Ron. Okay. We have um, three great guests uh, this week. Um First, we're going to be getting into private exchanges, uh, the first segment today. What a great area. You know, that medical tourism, just the first two examples you, we've talked about here, are just ideal for how healthcare consumerism, patient-oriented, consumer-oriented, consumer-focused, whatever term you want to use, is moving forward no matter what happens. These, these things don't have any effect on, you know, uh, or aren't affected by what's happening in Washington. These are things that people need, they want, they're lower cost, the employer's Whoever the risk-bearing entity is that's paying the bills for the most part, whether it's an employer or state entities or insurance companies, these are the types of changes that are going on in the healthcare system regardless of any legislation. This is just a natural movement to giving people choice, convenience, and new options. Absolutely. And uh, Brian Clay, he's with Crowdroom Company out of New York City. Um, he's going to be talking about kind of their philosophy regarding the private exchanges from the, the broker standpoint. Um, we had locked in Mike Smith on the program not too long ago, and Crowdroom Company is kind of doing their model where they combine advisory services with kind of they license the Bright Choices model, but if that's not the right fit, they have a handful of other ones. 
Well, you know, there's so many things going on in, in the marketplace today where brokers are trying to find the best way to serve their clients. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to uh, to hear the presentation. And we've heard many in the past about all these new developing aspects of private exchanges and the public exchanges, new options, what people are doing for retirees, what they're doing for their active employees. So employees are starting to look at it seriously about is there an alternative way that I can provide insurance to my employees. And private exchanges, you know, it's the old classic. You know, if you've seen one private exchange, you've seen one private exchange. They're all going to be a little different. And so uh, one of the great things about the Institute is we want to bring all that information uh, to the uh, marketplace and let everybody talk about their options and choices. And, you know, we also describe it a little bit as the Wild West. There's lots of crazy stuff going on out there. But out of all that craziness, the entrepreneurs will figure out what works, what is in demand, and uh, we're going to see some real success stories like uh, we'll hear about today as well as this market's developing and things start to shake out. So it's pretty exciting to hear about the uh, private exchanges. And um, I see we're our expert on private exchanges, having come from <laughs> Seattle in a private exchange conference. Uh, Doug Field, the founder of all this and the instigator of all these things that are going on at AHC. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing great. Great to be here, guys. Sorry to be late. Uh, welcome to Atlanta traffic. Atlanta traffic. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, getting ba- back very late from Las Vegas last night, too. <laughs> uh, but great to be here. You know, and uh, I attended a little niche exchange conference this week uh, out in Las Vegas, too, and, you know, the discussion, you know, from the go health of the world, I think there's an interesting dynamic taking place around individual, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, exchange is moving to grab that piece. And uh, I think, Jonathan, you've talked about this, and you may have talked about this already, so sorry if I'm being redundant. Uh, the emerging new niche, too, is exchanges being able, I think the winners are going to be those enabled to shovel employees to the right, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. to the right exchange, your Medicare population, your subsidized population, and uh, the others. So yeah. interesting, interesting. Uh, but, you know, just as a, an aside, kind of giving you guys an update, Vegas, I was obviously out there to uh, about our event coming up in November. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, pleased to announce that we have secured Jeff Ellis, the CFO of MGM, oh, wow. with 100,000 employees to be on the opening keynote, Ron, with you, Fantastic. and uh, looking to have a couple other C-level employers. Great guy, doing some very innovative things that uh, we'll be able to talk about. Uh, but also, uh, you know, we're doing a unique healthcare uh tourism uh yeah we did talk about that a little bit that's exciting and uh met with some outstanding you know doctors what they're doing in the area of uh, bariatrics cardiac uh knee and hip replacement surgery and uh but probably the most compelling thing in meeting with the tourism group itself and with doug gerstner who heads up a nonprofit called heels and heels is a nonprofit created for one principal reason to promote las vegas to not just as a healthcare tourism destination, but as a center of healthcare. There mm-hmm. will be four med schools emerging in Las Vegas. There's two right now, two more within the next three, four years. Oh. And, you know, to bring more, you know, patients to Las Vegas and bring more of the medical professionals to Las Vegas. And just, uh, you know, that is to the state's agenda, it has now moved up to be number three on their agenda as far wow. as what they want to be. They want to be uh, the health care center in the United States. But, you know, you mentioned something uh, when you started that off. You talked about going to a, uh, 
a private exchange conference, a mm-hmm. niche conference. Mm-hmm. And you can also go to niche conferences on uh, tourism. Sure you can, yeah. You know, but only at IHC. <laughs> can you Have you been able to pull all that together and show how it really is part of healthcare consumerism yep. and how this yep. whole movement of healthcare consumerism, this megatrend, is having changes in the delivery of healthcare? Because as we've also beginning to say more frequently, it's – it's health care consumerism, not health insurance consumerism. So as new options for health care are coming forth, it's really part of that uh, megatrend that you've been building in the IHC conferences. So it's yeah, really you know, you, you know, and, and Ron, you, you have been here and instrumental in, in being part of the building blocks of this. You know, when, when we decided to do this, we looked at health care consumerism as the subject matter, but deep and wide. Mm-hmm. So. It's not about just account-based plans. It's not just about tourism. not just about supplemental health or wellness. It's about all of that. But the second thing is, and, the, and there's a theme across this market, not just with us. It's about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Everyone talks. I was at AHIP and three CEOs of health plans talking about the need for all stakeholders to collaborate. But I right. kind of smiled because they were talking to an audience of one group, right. health plans. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, our premise was to bring all stakeholders together. Put them in the same room, put them in the same web community, inform them with the same media, to get them contributing, you know, to us. So there is a sense of collaboration that can uh, take place and actually does take place. Might be good if somebody had a model like learn, share, connect. Yeah, right? that's, okay. yeah, that's okay. interesting. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's interesting. I think that's the IHC one. Well, we've got about a minute to go, and, uh, you know, Jonathan uh, has put together a great program, as always, and, uh, you know, we've got three unique guests coming up that I think you guys probably already talked about. Again, don't mean to be redundant on that, uh, but a reminder to our audience, our Forum West Conference coming up November 10th through 12th, and right now, if somebody's interested in attending, we have a great uh, summer saving program going on where you can sign up to attend for $99, so wow. I urge you to take a look at our Forum websites, uh, www.theiccforum.com and stay tuned for the next segment healthcare consumers radio hey everybody brent macy managing director for the institute for healthcare consumerism and it's that time again want to make you aware of ihc forum west november 10th through 12th at the red rock casino in beautiful las vegas nevada we do have 99 dollars super saver rates now available visit our website theihcc.com to register Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Learn, connect, share. Join us every Friday at 11 o'clock to learn all those confusing issues around healthcare, Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid. We'll help you find the answers, help you stay in compliance. Join us Friday at 11 o'clock. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.d ihcc.com that's www.theihcc.com you're listening to america's webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio thank you for listening 
Hey, this is Doug Field, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. Uh, welcome back to the segment. I'm joined here by our co-hosts, Ron Bachman and Jonathan Field. Uh, the topic of this segment is that ever-popular private exchange discussion. And joining us to lead that discussion with us today is Brian Clay, Director of Private Exchanges with Crowder & Company in New York. Right, Brian, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Hey, can you uh, start out by giving our audience just a uh, brief background around Crowder & Company and uh, your, your place in this space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Crowder Company, we're a, a boutique brokerage. Um, we handle employee benefits, property casualty, management liability, overall risk management for, for our client base. Um, we're headquartered here in New York. Uh, we've got 10, 10 offices across the country. Um, and we, we define our client base truly as middle market with, with an average um, employee count of 100, 100 to 5,000 lives. Um, you know, we have some, some larger, some smaller, but that's really our core, our core business. Um, also, a large part of the, the business that we do is within the private equity space, helping our clients manage uh, mergers and acquisitions activity. Um, and, and then myself, um, here within the firm, I'm focused within the employee benefits practice. Uh, specifically, I'm the director of exchange solutions for Crowder Company. Um, so I've really been tasked with uh, analyzing th- this market, the emerging market of the, of the, <laughs> the, the private exchange space, uh, and really looking uh, looking to define Crowder Company's strategic approach to that space. Well, w- well welcome to the wild, wild west, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, give us your view of what you see across the private exchange space right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head. It really is. Um, <laughs> it really is a wild west. Uh-huh. Um, it's very much an emerging market. Um, you know, there are uh, close, close to hundred players out there right now, sort of jockeying for position uh, within the space. Um, you know, we've seen tech companies. We've seen payers, carriers. Um, emerge into the space, obviously brokers um, set, setting up exchanges. So it's um, sort of a, a flock to market is, is what we're seeing. What's, what's the most confusing uh, factors that you help your employers with as they kind of, I mean, because you know, I think a lot of this is CFOs, light bulb goes off, they turn around and say, hey, we've got to figure this out. And they reach out to you, you know, and, you know, uh, what do you see as some of the most confusing factors that they're wrestling with right now? Sure. I mean, I think the, the, one of the, the first question, question marks is, um, you know, is this a single carrier exchange? Is this a multi-carrier exchange? Um, there's a lot of uh, sort of murkiness uh, about that. So we're spending a lot of time with our, with our employer groups, sort of educating them on who, who would be a fit for a multi-carrier exchange, uh, who, who's not. Um, it, it seems in the industry that the industry has drawn a line at about 3,000 eligible lives um, to, to make a multi-carrier exchange. Uh, viable, mm-hmm. um, so that's a big part of the conversation, and it, it, a lot of the conversation is also about the the architecture of, of a private exchange. So, conceptually, I think everybody's there. I think everybody understands, you know, basically what an exchange is. Uh, but what's the architecture of it? Uh, you know, who, who's actually going out and procuring the plans? Uh, which, in, in most cases, is, is still the brokerage community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Where do the contracts sit once you sign? And, and what we're seeing is that employers are, you know, still being the plan sponsor and signing contracts. Um, you know, big question mark that we're, we're seeing is, you know, what's the time frame on implementation? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what we're finding is that the runway for rolling out an exchange is a bit longer than a traditional renewal process. Uh, and so helping them manage through that. And then, you know, one, one of the other 
areas, you know, near and dear to the, the CFO heart, if you will, um, is, is what's the cost of these private exchanges? Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're seeing from an, from an admin perspective is somewhere from between seven and $9,000 per 100 employees per year in cost. And, you know, I don't think a lot of employers are focused on that when they're, you know, talking conceptually about private exchanges. So, Brian, Sean Bachman here. Um, what, what is the uniqueness about your approach? You're a broker out there, and a lot of brokers have even established their own exchanges, uh, maybe offer some exchanges. What, what makes your program unique in this uh, developing marketplace? Yeah, I mean, as, as we went through the, you know, sort of the vetting process on this, um, you know, at, at the core of our business, what we do, we're, we're consultants. Um, so to put it simply, you know, we, we objectively evaluate you know, various solutions for, for our clients. Um, so in the traditional sense, you know, we look to vet carriers, plan designs, wellness vendors, TPAs, uh, in some cases payroll vendors, PEOs, benefit admin systems. Um, so what, what we've done is, um, you know, instead of going out and setting up our own exchange like a lot of brokers have done, um, you know, similar to, um, you know, the locked-in approach, we, we, we're applying our, our core competency as, as a consultant to the private exchange space to make sure that our, our clients are making you know, informed decisions. Um, I, you know, I think the space is really in its in infancy right now, and our, our conclusion that we came up with is that it's, 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 it's too soon to, to hitch, our, hitch our wagon to a singular horse at this point. So are you, um, when you're doing the consulting as to where they go, um, uh, you're getting your, 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 I'm trying to understand your business model, you're getting your consulting fees for doing that. If you place them, are you also then the uh, broker of record? Uh, typically, yes. Okay. So in, um, in deciding where to go, tell us about some of the tools that you're using and, uh, and how it helps uh, the employer determine what is the best uh, um, exchange for them to go to because it sounds almost like you're an independent uh, agent, if you will, uh, but you're just applying that to a brokerage uh, type model where you're helping them select, and then you're uh, you're staying in in uh, involved with that process throughout. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the first step, um, the first analysis that we do is, is sort of crunching numbers on, um, uh, you know, I'm projecting what what it would look like to take, you know, your 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 population today and, 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 you know, put it down into a new environment within the private exchange environment. So um, our, our initial conversations are surrounding the analytics, um, you know, what we think um, the, the, the finances will look like if you, if you put a population into, into an exchange, uh, both now and in the future going forward. Um, then from there, we look to get a sense, um, you know, what, what is the employer looking for? Um, you know, are you looking for a singular carrier exchange, a multi-carrier exchange? Um, you know, uh, from a funding perspective, are you, you know, partial to, uh, to, to self-funding, fully, fully, uh, you know, fully insured mm-hmm. scenarios, um, uh, benefit designs? What sort of carriers are you looking for? So we go through a process of, A, looking at, you know, what are the nuts and bolts on the finances? And then, and then B, you know, what are you looking to accomplish? And then from there... Um, you know, we, we look at the, the the exchange world, if you will, and, and we look to, to line up, um, you know, the, the best solution for them. Hey, hey, Brian, uh, you've got a very unique client base uh, around private equity that you alluded to before on the program. Talk to us about private exchanges and uh, the maybe unique opportunities that, that, that brings to the private equity space. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, when, when we look at our, 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 our business, um, you know, we're tied largely to, to – the acquisitions that these private equity companies are making. Mm-hmm. So, our, our client base is, you know, 
all, all over the all over the place from an industry perspective, right. from a regional perspective. Um, so, some some of the early conversations um, at the private equity level that we've been having are, you know, look, this, this is an emerging market. It, it, it's certainly you know getting traction. Uh, where can we apply this within your portfolio of companies um, you know, to, to start? Um, you know, fi- fixing your costs, and, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, the, the idea to, of going into a defined contribution scenario with, with a fixed budget for the employer, and then the, the you know the private equity firm that sits above that group or that 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 employer is very attractive. So we're definitely getting um, a, a lot of eyebrows raised in the private equity space. Um, you know, as we watch this market emerge, uh, Brian, on the um, on the employer side. Um, we hear a lot of hype going on around anything that's new, and uh, then we have to sort of see how you know effective the different options are, and we're going to have some winners and some losers. But we're clearly moving this direction of uh, of private exchanges. Um, how are you seeing the current movement, and what do you see as the prospects in the future? Is it something that's really booming right now across the country? Is there certain geographical uh, interests uh, more than others? Um, uh, certain sizes that are more interested in making these changes. Give us a profile of what you see uh, the market movement being. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, r- right now, uh, you know, we're, we're in full swing with our January first, twenty fifteen, twenty fifteen strategy discussions uh, with our client base. So I think that the the employer community overall um, is showing a, 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 a big appetite for looking at this. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to see, you know, see what the private exchange is, what, you know, what it looks like and feels like. Um, and, and that's across industry. That's a, across um, you know. That's across size. That's across region. Uh, there's a. I think the the latest numbers that I've seen survey data. Seventy five percent of employers are are interested in mm-hmm. in exploring this. Um, the reaction that we're getting, you know, um, as, as we start um, as we start speaking with them, you know, some employers are asking, um, is there too much choice for, mm-hmm. from you know, within an exchange, and mm-hmm. they're, they're a little bit skeptical of about uh, you know, can an exchange decision-making tool you know get the employee to the right place? Mm-hmm. Um, but but we're seeing you know a big flurry of let's look at it now. When we sit down in these strategy discussions at the end of the day, we say you know realistically what what is it what what are your thoughts on adopting this for 2015? Um, you know we find that about 25 percent of the people that we're talking to are. You know, are, are are ready to go and really interested, and, and the majority of those um, seventy five percent or so uh, are saying, "Look, we want to take another lap. Uh, we we mm-hmm. want to we want to let this market mature a little bit, and we want to keep an eye on it." Yeah, we see kind of the same thing. I, I mean, I think the, there are some hidden surprises that come in out of the market. I mean, Accenture came out talking about two thousand fourteen, where they originally said a million participants would be in the exchange in 2014 their new latest number say three million so i i think we're going to probably see some of the same but you know we we too look ahead to 2016 and see that as maybe the big explosion year where you know companies are ramping up yeah and i think the fortune 500s are, are obviously you know, we've seen the the, the bigger companies uh, jump first if you will um i think the middle market where we play it's um you know there, there's a little bit more trepidation sure does that mean you're seeing more of the uh, single carrier model? Uh, I keep hearing that that seems to be picking up speed because of the complications of the multi-carrier and risk adjustment flows back and forth and formulas make that happen. Um, uh, are you seeing something different, or tell us what you think about the uh, multi-carrier versus the single carrier? Yeah, I mean, I, cer- certainly, um, it, certainly we're seeing more in the, in the single carrier format. Um, mm-hmm. the, the multi-carrier format, um, I, I think 
is even less mature in the single mm-hmm. carrier format. I think there's an overall, um, you know, hesitancy based on you know some some of the issues with the public exchanges to um, to, to to go that far, if you will. Right. Hey, Brian, we've got about a minute to go, and I want to give you the opportunity to kind of uh, wrap this up from your point of view and leave our audience with one one to two uh, takeaways. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think the biggest takeaway here is this is very much an emerging market. Mm-hmm. Um, they're close to, you know, 100 exchange options um, out there right now. Uh, there doesn't... There doesn't appear to be a true national solution that has fully stocked shelves, uh, you know, for every carrier in every state. Um, Major carriers haven't really jumped into this space yet, although, you know, Cigna United, they're starting to dip their toes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's emerging. I think that's a key takeaway. Um, I I think from an employer perspective, um, the success of an employer's, you know, ability to – the the success of an adoption of a private exchange is based on their ability to pick the right exchange. Um, You know, there are many criteria – to, to consider funding, plan selection, um, you know, each exchange that we work with has, has its own strengths and weaknesses, and really identifying what those are relative to the client's goals um, is sort of paramount to the process. Um, and then I think the, the last takeaway that I'll, that I'll leave you with is that, you know, adopting an exchange doesn't excuse an employer from, you know, the challenging aspects of, of managing a benefit offering that exists today. Um, you know, there's still a need to manage claims, ensure compliance, communicate with employees, um, you know, maintain a competitive contributions, manage the employer spend. Um, th- those all still exist within, exchange, yeah, within but, an exchange environment. That's very well said, Brian. A, um, really appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, with us today. Great segment. Uh, have a great weekend. And to our audience, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Hey, everybody. Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. And it's that time again. I want to make you aware of IHC Forum West, November 10th through 12th at the Red Rock Casino in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. We do have $99 Super Saver rates now available. Visit our website, theihcc.com, to register. Solution providers, are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive Solution Provider Membership, your business gets an all-access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market-wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director, Brent Macy, today at bmacy at theihcc.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Hey, everybody. This is Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. And you've heard us talk a lot about private healthcare exchanges on the program. For anyone who's interested in listening to this program now, visit privatehealthcareexchanges.com and enter promo code IHC Radio for special discounts on subscriptions to the site. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is Doug Fields, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, along with my co-hosts Ron Bachman and Jonathan Fields. So uh, welcome back to the segment. And 
Joining us today is Mike Martin, Chief Executive Officer with the Karis Group, you know, out of Texas. Hey, Mike, good morning to you. Good morning. How are y'all today? We're doing great. I hey, uh, appreciate you taking time out of your, uh, out of your day well, to join us. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, tell us uh, our audience a little bit about uh, the Karis Group and uh, your CARE 360 program. Sure, I'd be happy to. Karis, uh, the Karis Group uh, was founded in 1996. We're a healthcare professional services firm uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, we work in all 50 states, um, and we are driven uh, over these years. Our mission is to make healthcare work for everyone in our country. So that's really what drives us. Uh, our founder who was a medical doctor from England. He and his wife were both medical doctors that came to the United States and saw some challenges uh, in the healthcare system, particularly with pricing uh, and affordability for American families. Uh, so they really set up the, the CARES group to be able to work to assist people with their medical bills, getting to fair pricing and assisting them in those areas. And we've expanded that a lot uh, over the years to be a more comprehensive service program. So, so talk a little bit specifically about Care, Care 360. What? Uh... Yeah, this is a, a product that we've uh, rolled out a few years ago, the Care 360 product. The idea was really out of... Um, the chaos uh, that was uh, surrounding a movement to the Affordable Care Act, a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace, but particularly with uh, individuals and families or group plans, uh, employer groups trying to figure out which way to go, how is this going to work. Uh, we had for 14 years been helping people with their medical bills, and so we were frequently asked questions a few years ago about, well, could you help me with uh, questions about the Affordable Care Act and penalties and exchanges and those sorts of things? So we uh, expanded our product uh, to Care 360 with the cornerstone being a comprehensive uh, healthcare navigation service. Uh, what we wanted to be able to do is be a uh, repository of information and assistance to members who could come in and say, look, I, I need this help, I, I don't understand this question, or I don't know where to go, and we basically take over the process and develop solutions for them, uh, anything in the healthcare arena. So we, you know, whether the, uh, there's, uh, someone's just looking for a physician or they don't understand uh, something in the Affordable Care Act or they have a, uh, a claim uh, with their insurance policy that's gone awry or they need a second opinion referral center, appointment scheduling, whatever the needs are, uh, we decided, look, let's go out and help people because, A, they don't have the time. The American family today doesn't have the time. But probably more importantly, they don't have the wherewithal. And unfortunately, in the absence of really informed consumerism, uh, what you see is a lot of people being taken advantage of, not not necessarily intentionally, right. but just because the system uh, doesn't assist them. So we said, here's a place where we can really help people by providing them good information to make informed, educated, rational choices. So that's um, what really propelled us to create Care360. And then built into that, uh, we had a couple of other products that we just thought were essential to helping them. So our, our Care360 evaluation will, if you will, triage a case when a member calls in. And most of the time it's navigation service, but a lot of times a member will say, well, I owe $25,000 uh, on um, a surgical procedure that I had to the doctors, several doctors, some hospitals, etc." 
and I just can't afford to pay those. Well, our patient advocacy service will take over those bills and go negotiate or mediate with the healthcare providers on those bills to bring about some resolution that's affordable for the member. It's a, it's a good, works well for the provider. They're trying to collect on it, and the member is trying to get some relief. So we mediate and bring about savings uh, to their bills. Then the next piece that we found uh, really helpful was a surgery cost saver, which we built into Care 360. Uh, this is actually it's a healthcare facility comparison report. Um, a member would be uh, a doctor, or a surgeon would say, "Well, I'm going. You need to have your gallbladder removed. We're going to send you over to Hospital X." We'll get you scheduled there. Well, most people just simply go, mm-hmm. not knowing what the cost is. And then they come home, and a few weeks later, all these bills start arriving, and they're saying, well, how am I going to pay for this? So what we do is our registered nurse on staff, when a member calls in and says, I'm going to have this non-emergency procedure, then the, the nurse uh, visits with them and then goes back to the surgeon and visits and gets more information and then actually calls the facility where they've been scheduled and gets actual pricing information. I, I don't know uh, your experience, but uh, over the years I, in my own life, trying to find out actual pricing uh, is extremely difficult. And a lot of the published data is out of date or the metrics really don't work. So we find the actual pricing for the facility and we look at availability that fits the member's schedule, not just the facility schedule. And then we also look at quality metrics to make sure they're getting a good quality for value. And then the nurse would take that as a baseline and then go um, and compare it and get to four other facilities uh, to give a, an opportunity for informed consumerism. And that comparison, what we found in the five facilities overall in the past couple of years, on average, we find that there's a 64% price differential among the various uh, healthcare providers when we're doing a comparison, and that amounts to an average savings of about a little over $13,000 per case for our members. So this is where we find a sweet spot, helping people make that choice. And of course, we're saying, you know, quality is, you know, the quality is equal, but here's a significant price differential. It's your choice. Uh, but here's where you could save yourself a lot of money. So that's that's the kind of thing we want. We want to help people be educated, informed consumers, but most people don't have the time. So we do what we basically do is do all the legwork for them. Now, Mike, do you do, deal directly with the employer on uh, you know putting the service in place for their employee population? Is that uh, we do? If that, it's, uh, that's uh, admittedly that's not our most. Uh, uh, heavy market, uh, but we, we can certainly do that. In fact, the surgery cost saver was developed for the self-funded employer right. group because so many of the self-funded employers were just uh, really getting hit hard with employees and or their family members right. going out and having a surgical procedure, and then the bills come in, uh, and the employers just got to pay those. So we developed this really for those groups as a way to incentivize their employees, either through saving, sharing, or some sort of incentivization to use the service, and then ultimately it saves the employer group significant dollars. Mike's Ron Bachman here. Um, what is your business model? Uh, is this uh, potentially uh, sold to individuals? Is it just sold to large companies, small companies, uh, help the uninsured? What's, sure. what's your business model? Well, 
uh, initially, Care 360 was created as a, a direct-to-consumer model, and mm-hmm. we, we sell it at a, at a retail price on the Internet, so anyone can come and join. Um, our normal business model is really selling through insurance wholesalers, aggregators, resellers, to where we're selling to larger groups, mm-hmm. And so, but we'll do both. But right now, the primary market that we're experiencing seems to be with larger groups buying uh, Care 360 for uh, you know, a lot of people. We have a, a client uh, that uh, recently that, that they've enrolled over 60,000 people just in about the past five months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's an unrelated product. They're actually selling a health and a major medical policy. But they saw value in what we were doing for their members, so they've included in all their uh, policy memberships uh, across the board. So we're really flexible. We can work with the individual on a retail basis. Um, and they can go to www.care360.com, or we work directly with employer groups or with, uh, again, these aggregators and wholesalers around the country. Right. And another big marketplace for us is the uh, employee assistance programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, those groups that are going to employers and putting together a package of benefits. Uh, one of the things we're seeing, there's a lot of interest here where uh, the pricing works well because of the larger numbers, and they're able to include that uh, as a choice option for employers. And I think one, our experience with employers is they realize that most of their employees are spending time on the company clock, if you will, to address these issues in their lives because the healthcare providers that they need to talk to are not there after hours. So if I'm working during the day, you know, my employees are back, they've got issues, they're on the phone during the day, I'm paying for that. So these groups are saying, wow, that helps our productivity as an employer because my employees can turn their case, their problems over to Karis. Karis works it out, brings back a solution. They're not on the phone trying to negotiate all these and work all this. So it puts them, it lowers their stress level and increases their productivity. So it's we're really in a lot of different markets, to be honest. Hey, Mike, do you uh, are you engaged with uh, any of the emerging private exchanges? I would see this as a natural part of that complete solution. Uh, we haven't yet. Uh-huh. Uh, frankly, we've uh, we're uh, the growth that we've experienced just in the past two years. Uh, we're we're working on handling that and handling it well. It is something we have looked at, uh, but haven't gotten there yet. And frankly, we're kind of watching to see where the Affordable Care Act goes, yeah. because some of their, uh, not all of their details have been worked out. Uh, not everything's been implemented, so part of it is we're waiting to see if it settles down a little bit more, uh, and then we would uh, certainly address that market. Well, Mike, we got about uh, time flies when we're having fun and a lot of information here, a lot of, uh, a lot of good information. We got about sure. a, minute, a minute to go. Can you kind of wrap this and get, leave our audience with some takeaways, please? Sure. I think the, the key of what we try to do as a cash group with Care 360 is to help the consumer mm-hmm. <clears throat> navigate the healthcare waterfront, if you will. Uh, people just don't have any idea, and unfortunately, without professionals assisting you at a very affordable price, you're left uh, really to the whim and will of the healthcare system, and it's not geared for individuals. So it, it's geared for the Medicare system, and it's geared for uh, large uh, insurance companies, but everybody else really has to fend for themselves, and that's where we really make our best play. We help people save money, save time, cut their stress, 
uh, we're a service company, and that's uh, we consider ourselves a concierge service to where we do all the work for the members. Well, Mike, listen, I really appreciate uh, uh, you taking time away to spend sure. with us on this segment. It's been very informative. Well, thank you so much for your interest, and I really enjoyed talking with you both. Yeah, have a great weekend, and to the rest of the audience, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumers Marine. Thank you all so much. All right. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. If you're a solution provider in this marketplace, I'd like to talk to you more about our corporate membership program that will allow you to showcase your solutions in front of our audience who will be making decisions on what they're going to be putting in place surrounding their healthcare benefit packages in 2013 and beyond. Contact me at 770-296-7276 to learn more. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Membership. Are you an IHC member? Access to the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's Breaking News industry trends, expert blogs, and networking with IHC's industry-wide member community. IHC membership puts you at the focal point of the dynamic health and benefit industry, allowing you to join the conversation and collaborate with industry stakeholders and your peers. Your IHC membership includes a subscription to Healthcare Consumerism Solutions Magazine, Healthcare Exchange Solutions Magazine, annual publications Healthcare Solutions Superstars, and Healthcare Solutions Outlook. A free white paper, and much more. Sign up as a free IHC member or $99 premium IHC member today at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is Doug Field, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Consumers, along with my co-hosts Ron Bachman and Jonathan Field, and uh, welcome back to this segment. Uh, joining us today uh, is one of the industry leaders when it comes to consumer-directed uh, benefit administration, uh, Joe Jackson, CEO of WageWorks. Joe, good morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you on here, Joe. Uh, can you give our audience a brief background on uh, WageWorks, you, uh, and uh, then we'll get into some of these specific discussions around FSAs and HSAs? Sure. Um, <clears throat> WageWorks is a uh, lead, leading provider and administrator of consumer-directed benefits, uh, which really empower employees to save money on taxes while providing uh, corporate tax deductions for employers. Uh, we work with about 29,000 employers uh, throughout the country. We have about 3.2 million uh, participants who take advantage of uh, one of the consumer-directed benefits that we administer on behalf of uh, uh, employers. And uh, those could be flexible spending accounts, health savings accounts, health reimbursement arrangements, as well as commuter benefit services, including transit and parking programs. Joe, Joe uh, you know, last year the IRS made, uh, you know, the change with the FSA, you know, the user to lose it. And uh, I know you and Jody and the team at WasteWorks were, you know, involved in helping make those changes. Talk a little bit about what that means to the industry and kind of your involvement in in, in making and helping that change take place. I'm sorry, could you talk a little bit about? Yeah, talk a little bit about the IRS, IRS ruling around FSAs uh, last year and, and your yeah. role and your team's role in helping to get that passed. Yeah, well, 
when the Affordable Care Act was passed, uh, one of the provisions um, uh, of the law was it established for the first time a cap on the amount of dollars that the employee could uh, contribute to a flexible spending account during a year. That cap is $2,500. Prior to that, there was no federal cap on the amount of money somebody could contribute to a flexible spending account. Uh, Since there was no cap, uh, a number of years ago when these were established, the IRS set up the use it or lose it rule, which basically was a way to keep high income earners from deferring income. So once the cap was established, uh, we felt that um, because the cap of 2,500 was, um, you know, not is not an amount of money that people would use to defer income, as well as the dollars really can't be taken out as cash in a flexible spending account. We started talking with Treasury and the IRS uh, about uh, removing uh, that burdensome use it or lose it rule. It was really one of the uh, the biggest deterrents that kept people from en- enrolling in the program. Uh, so uh, myself, our Chief Compliance Officer, Jody Deedle, a uh, number of uh, other uh, in- industry veterans uh, spent quite a bit of time over about a two-year period working with the IRS and Treasury uh, to figure out a way uh, to uh, hopefully eliminate the rule. And where we landed was, uh, instead of eliminating it, we were uh, able to uh, get agreement on establishing a carryover of up to $500 uh, into the next plan year. Uh, we felt that was a, a huge victory, obviously, uh, and uh, the $500 we felt was a good amount of money because the average amount that people would forfeit uh, utilizing an FSA was somewhere between $150 and $200 mm-hmm. a year uh, when you did lose money. So we felt the $500 uh, carryover provided enough cover um, that it virtually eliminates the, uh, uh, the ability for people to lose money. So um, Halloween, uh, October 31st, the, uh, the, the ruling was made. It allowed, it, it allowed employers to uh, begin to take advantage of it late last year. We had about 1,200 employers that did take advantage of it in 2013. And those employers saw a mid- to high-teens increase in enrollment just in that short period of time that they were able to make people aware and educate them on the value of the rollover. So now as we head into 2014, into 2014's open enrollment season come fall, and we have a full open enrollment season to educate people about the, uh, continuing to educate them about the value of flexible spending accounts, now with the carryover and the significant adoption that we're seeing from employers who are wanting to take advantage of this, um, you know, we think that... Uh, uh, we'll see a significant increase in flexible spending account participation, not only this year, but for the next few years to come. Joe, Ron Bachman here. What's your typical market? you got 27,000 employers. Uh, what's, the, what's the general size? Well, we work with half of the Fortune 100. We work with about uh, 167 of the Fortune 500. So, you know, we spend a lot of time and effort and work very closely with enterprise-level employers. But we have about 27,000 small businesses out there that work with us as well. And the great thing about it is whether you're uh, a Fortune 10 company or um, you're a dry cleaners in San Mateo, California, mm-hmm. uh, you know you can still work with WageWorks. You can still use our products. You have the same uh, functionality, the same technology to utilize. So 
Uh, you know, although we do spend uh, quite a bit of our time working with uh, large enterprise employers, we do the full gamut of employer size. Hey, Joe, um, you know, you have a unique view of, you know, all the account-based plan or, you know, HSAs, HRAs, and there's a lot of talk about what's happening with HSAs right now, the evolution of more full replacement programs, you know, what's going to happen with HSAs inside private and, and what's happening inside public exchanges. What's your view right now on, on the growth of HSAs uh, looking ahead in the next one, two, three years? Well, they're our fastest-growing product. Mm-hmm. You know, all of our products, whether it's HRAs or FSAs, are growing. Uh, but you're seeing uh, a higher growth percentage in uh, in HSAs out there, and I think that will continue. Uh, just like you said, we have uh, employers that are uh, starting to move towards uh, full replacement, uh, and full replacement meaning moving to uh, high deductible uh, offerings only, which allow then the employee to take advantage of an HSA, as well as a limited purpose FSA uh, that would allow them to offset uh, vision and dental expenses. Again, uh, the limited purpose FSA is also um, involved in the carryover provision as well, so that helps. But on the HSA market, uh, not only from full replacement, but with the uh, adoption and the creation of a lot of private exchanges out there now, which has over the last year become uh, uh, more and more popular, and and, uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, movement of employers moving from kind of the defined benefit uh, strategy to defined contribution strategy, and there's a number of private exchanges out there that are looking to help employers move in that direction. Uh, the interesting thing about private exchanges is we see that most of um, the exchanges offer uh, a number of high deductible health plans uh, with wellness initiatives and things like that attached to them. Uh, that gets the employer more involved in not only setting up an HSA account, but also having uh, incentives that they can do, whether it be a blood pressure check or a health risk assessment, things like that, that if they complete them, the employer will then contribute dollars uh, to the HSA uh, account. So I I think going forward, if you kind of look out in the next, uh, you know, two to three years, if you look at some of the studies that have been out there by firms like Accenture, that talk about the shift in defined benefits to defined contributions. Look, if, if those estimates end up being half right, right. Uh, consumer-directed benefits, and, and especially HSAs, uh, will continue to grow and really become a staple uh, that people utilize to offset health care expenses going forward. Yeah, I mean, some of the discussion, you know, we, you know, we're sitting here with about 13 million HSAs accounts in place. I mean, I mean, that number can move a little bit depending on who you're talking to, but... You know, the, the projections, in fact, we just did a study uh, in partnership with uh, John Young and Todd Berkeley out of Minnesota, and, you know, the projection there is that 45 million HSAs will be in place over the next three years. That's a, that's a very dramatic growth, you know, if it happens. Oh, I agree. And I saw the same report, uh, and I've known Todd for a few years, and I, and I thought it was very well done. Um, and, and like I said, it, it's uh, hard to pick holes in the assumptions that they make in those studies. Right. Uh, and as I tell people all the time, if, if they're right, um, then consumer-directed benefits are in for uh, a surge of enrollments over the next few years. If they're half right, you're still going to have a surge of enrollments <laughs> in, uh, in, in those programs. You know, on the FSA side, we just did a study with Visa where we went out and talked to 
uh, a good majority of our 29,000 uh, employer clients just on the FSA carryover side. And just in the first year, well over half of those employers have already stated that they're going to take advantage of the carryover provision. So, you know, you look at FSAs, you look at the growth in, in HSAs, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, our industry uh, is in for uh, a good ride here over the next few years, and there looks to be a, a, a strong runway for growth going forward. Yeah, and I think some of that's being validated, too, by what we see happen in the M&A and the investment category. I know you were one of the first companies to go public, and congratulations on that, you know, uh, now you see Castlight, you see Health Equity filing to go public. You see the major acquisition uh, that Wex made of Evolution One. I think that all uh, that's all, in our view, a very positive statement on where consumer directed benefits are heading. No, I couldn't agree more. We we uh, uh, we're very fortunate. Uh, you know, we were able to go public in May of 2012. Yeah. We've had a nice run since then, and uh, like I tell people all the time, when you know we've had a very nice run, we've had some very good growth. We've been able to establish scale, um, but when you look at the opportunities ahead of us, we just think we're, I mean, it's the early innings of the game, and we think we're just getting started. Well, Joe, listen, uh, you know, time flies, we're having fun, and I really enjoyed having you on the program. We'll have to uh, have you on again. Uh, I've got about a minute to go. I want to give you the opportunity to kind of leave our audience with one or two takeaways. Well, I think the, the one or two takeaways I would have would be um, that as consumer-directed benefits, whether it's HSAs or FSAs, continue to grow, um, that employers really take the opportunity to educate um, their employees on the value of these products. If you look at the carryover provision for FSA, for example, at $500, there's absolutely no reason that every employee in the United States shouldn't, at minimum, put $500 into an FSA account next year. primarily because, you know, they can leave it there, and when those out-of-pocket health care expenses come up, and they will, it, it's, a, it's a terrific way to take advantage of those, uh, those costs and be able to pay for them uh, with pre-tax money. It's like having a 30 35% discount um, on your uh, out-of-pocket health care expenses. And on the HSA side, the high-deductible plans going forward, um, it's, a, it's a terrific vehicle uh, that employees can use not only to offset uh, out-of-pocket health care expenses, but to have something that they can bridge along with their 401k and start a savings vehicle that would allow them to save dollars going forward. So uh, when they get to retirement or when they get to the point where they really need them because of some event, that they have a cushion of dollars, a kind of a health nest egg, uh, if you like, that they could use to uh, pay for those out-of-pocket, out-of-pocket expenses. And, you know, and in closing, you know, we listen to you guys quite a bit and uh, really appreciate all you do to, um, you know, kind of talk about the industry, et cetera, and it's been a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks, Joe. Listen, uh, say hello to uh, Jody Force, if you would, please, and uh, uh, have a great weekend. Oh, will do. And have a great weekend. Uh, to our audience, right, uh, we'll be off next week, next Friday, so have a happy 4th.